If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, it's essentially the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need on one place. Let me explain. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your pod right from your phone or your computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your pod on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey guys, welcome to Let's Process This with Melinda Hill. We are happy you're here. We, meaning me, pretending I'm a we for some reason. Hi. Let's Process This is a podcast about processing and overcoming trauma and transforming it into creative treasure and life treasure because we are not defined by what happened to us, but we are defined by what we do with what happens to us. Hello. We also talk creative process, like how does stuff get made? How are people making things? How are people making it through things? My intention is that you will feel inspired and empowered and illuminated by the insights that you find here. And also, of course, entertained. Some quick announcements for you. If you're so inspired, please support this podcast by subscribing for free wherever you get your pods and rating it and leaving a nice review. Yummy, yummy review time. You can become a patron now directly on anchor.com or on patreon.com. So hop over there and become a patroon. You can access all this stuff at my website, melindahill.com. If you can do all or any of that, we are so grateful. We, of course, just meaning me. Another announcement for you. Very exciting. My comedy special, Inappropriate, is now out. What? Yes! I am so excited to share this comedy special with you. You can get it at melindahill.com or wherever you get your specials. It's also a comedy album. And you can get that wherever you get your comedy albums. The special is called Melinda Hill, Inappropriate. Few people said a few things about it. Hollywood Chicago says, combine the hilarity of prime observational comedy with the zen of inner peace, and you have Melinda Hill's stand-up special, Inappropriate. The sharp master of laughs delivers an hour of riffs on her life and her loves. Off the Tracks goes on to say, Melinda's special is bold, funny, and deep. A hilarious comedy hour jam-packed with laughs. Speaks to her development as a joke writer and deliverer, but also arrives at exactly the right time. Ooh, we love arriving at the right time. Gotta love that divine timing. Guys, did I mention that we are so happy that you are here today. Thank you so much for all of your support. Let's get into it, shall we? Hey, how are you? Great, how are you doing today? Good, thank you. Uh, are we live already? We are, this is it. It's all. It's happening now. First of all, I want to apologize for spacing out about uh, last week's, uh, yeah. 
I was, uh, for those of you that are watching, I was supposed to be here same time last week and forgot to put it in my calendar. And because I'm old and stupid, uh, I totally spaced, but I'm here now. So. Oh no, you, you, no, I can't let you talk about yourself that way. I, I totally negate these, these words. And I just want to say thank you for being here and um, thank you for your apology. And um, I really admire that. And also I think every podcast has its own divine timing. So you got here at the exact perfect time. Well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> now that that now that that ugliness is out of the way, let's get to the real ugliness. <laughs> the inside ugliness. What was uh, do you care to um, go into why you why you were late or why why you why you were a week late? First of all, I just want to say you win the award. You're the first guest ever um, to forget to show up to the podcast. Of course, I haven't been doing it that long. And yeah. um, you win that award, you win that special prestige. And also- <laughs> I always wanted to be special. I never anticipated that's what I would be special for, but <laughs> I should have been more specific when I prayed. <laughs> um, what, what was going on there? Like what happened? I have been, for the most part, doing okay through the, the whole pandemic thing. You know, if you can be lucky in a pandemic, I feel like I'm, I'm lucky. It hasn't devastated what I do for a living. Uh, nobody I love has, has died. I haven't gotten it yet, et cetera, et cetera. That being said, um, I suppose it's more driven by everything that's going on politically in our world and climate change and all that kind of stuff and the and the wildfires i've been avoiding the news and i have just been uh obsessively playing this uh game called civilization on my computer and it's i will play sometimes for eight hours in a row uh because i just it, it's a way i guess of sleeping without going to bed because you're so focused on it the rest of the world gets tuned out and I will sometimes ignore my emails. And if I had checked my email, I would have put it in my calendar. Uh, but there, there you go. It's, it's my go-to to soothe and, and escape. And, and I suppose it's healthier than, uh, you know, some of my go-tos in the past, which would have been, you know, drugs, alcohol, uh, pornography, you know, et cetera. So it, it's an improvement, but it's an area I still, I still need to, uh, to work on. I think that's the most honest, thoughtful answer I've ever heard. <laughs> that is like, that is a great, you're like winning awards. That's, that's the award for the most honest, thoughtful answer. Um, well, I'm very happy to hear that you are, that, that you've come so far in terms of, you know, healthy ways to go to sleep um, while being awake. Um, yeah. I think that's probably, that's probably the best, that's probably top of the list. It's a really hard time to be awake. It really is. And and that's why you wrote me and I just said, 
I totally, I totally get it. No, yeah, you were no very, problem. very kind in your response. You know, I didn't hear anything from you for about 24 hours. And I thought, <laughs> okay, I'm dead to her. And uh, it's, uh, you know, I'm a people pleaser. So that, uh, that was a hard thing for, for me to just to kind of let go of. And then I heard from you after 24 hours and you were very uh, kind and accepting my apology. And uh, so of course I was relieved that there's one less person in the world that hates me. Oh, come on. Do people in the world, <laughs> does anyone in the world really hate you? Or is that, is that your Paul perception? Is that That's probably not my, my Paul perception, but you know, when I was out there, uh, you know, drinking and using drugs and, you know, uh, womanizing. Uh, I, I know that there are people out there that, you know, if my name comes up, maybe they don't hate me. Maybe they do, but they certainly go. Really? Do you, do you feel like that's still the climate out there, even though you've probably made a, you know, a list of amends, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, it's, it's hard to know. I suppose I'm, I'm listening to that mean voice in my head um, because it's familiar, you know, that voice. And, and I think one of the things I've learned in going out to all my support group meetings is that um, we mistake that voice, that shaming voice for discipline. And, but nobody has ever shamed themselves into being the person they want to be. So I don't know why I do that to myself sometimes. I suppose part of it is I want to control what other people think of me. And there is no way to do that. Uh, but I, I think the, the part of my brain that's a people pleaser uh, thinks that if I think about it enough, I'll come up with some grand scheme where I can control what people think about me. Yeah. Which of course sounds ridiculous when I say it out loud, but. Well, I completely relate because I'm also in the people pleaser lineage and I've done so much work on that. And I, I, I think it's a, it's been described to me as like, it's a, it gives you an illusion of control that you think you can, it's like magical thinking of thinking that you can control what other people are thinking of you. And um, shame is just that acronym that I love of should have already mastered everything such a that's such a great one and nobody gets you know further along from like being like why aren't you further to yourself um and it's such a a form of abuse to yourself right to be like why does do my circumstances not look like this other person's why am i not done better why this why it's just like a way to rob ourselves of the joy of today couldn't agree more. I mean, how many more people whose lives we envy uh, need to kill themselves before we realize everybody has an internal world with pain and fear and struggle? Uh, the circumstances of it might be different if they're famous or have money, but they're they're still, you know, every moment of the day, sitting in a chair trying to relate to another person, whether it's a fancy chair or a fancy person, they're still trying to connect to other human beings. And it, it, it doesn't really matter that much uh, your your surroundings as, as much as it does the, the quality of your human connection and your ability to manage your mental and emotional struggles, which is certainly a challenge. It's why I started the podcast. 
Yeah. And by the way, if I'm sweating profusely, I I am uh, drinking my uh, first coffee of the day, and it is uh, hit me like a sauna. Okay. Yeah. No, I, we are all sweating profusely. It's a heat wave within a fire trap, but, um, what did, what coffee are you uh, enjoying these days? Oh, intelligentsia house blend. Okay. There is no other, I get a whole bean. Okay. Excuse me. I grind it and it's so good. My girlfriend turned me, uh, turned me on to it. And, uh, I, I have not looked back. I have not even considered all the other coffees that are like, oh my God, this coffee is amazing. They pale in comparison to Intelligentsia House Blend. It's do you, so good. Do you, um, how many cups do you do per day? I just do one. I don't know why okay. I said my first cup of the day. It's, okay. it's really my only. I'm a night owl, so this is my morning. Oh. It's, you know, what, 12, 15. And so I just okay. had breakfast. Good and morning. I'm just, you understand as a stand-up comic. Oh, completely. Uh, Although I will say I'm not typically a night person. I'm an early riser. I wake up at like five or six almost every day. Oh my God. I'm so jealous because <laughs> I love the morning sun. I love the feeling of I'm getting a jump on the day. Yeah. But you, you also then miss out on the solitude of nighttime and the lack of responsibility because you know, for the most part, nobody's going to call you. There's no errands to run. And uh, I I love that forced release of responsibility. Well, you know, it's the same in the early morning because nobody wakes up that early. So oh you're God, completely alone about that. to create. Yeah. I like to, I love to write. I, I mean, I, wait, I have a whole morning ritual, but I meditate and I do my coffee. I do bulletproof coffee. But I'm oh, yeah. all about my morning coffee, and and I love to write during that time and be creative and be alone. Same kind. Would you would you journal or do like the artist's way or what do you do? Uh, no, I think the artist's way is bullshit. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Can you imagine the only person who ever hated the artist's way? No, yeah. uh, I I got a lot out of the artist's way. Um, I think she's doing great work, uh, Julia Cameron. But I, for me, I do. Um, I, I meditate first because I feel like that gets rid of all the night garbage, the <laughs> stuff we wake up with, the negative thoughts, the, <laughs> the, you know, all that stuff. And then I do, um, then I get the coffee going. I get the coffee going while I'm meditating. So as soon as I hit the That's end good. of the meditation, I'm going to collide with the caffeine. Fix. Oh, that's the best. I'm going to slide into the caffeine. And now I'm like, and then I get into some hardcore morning action. Grat like gratitude list. Just break it down. Gratitude. This is before I ever crack the news. I don't crack the news until lunch. Yeah. So you got your suit of, of armor on with your gratitude list and your meditation out of the way for people that have never done a gratitude list. I cannot recommend it highly enough because it, it reshifts your perspective on, um, the dark and the light in, in life. And, uh, you know, it's, it's not meant to minimize our problems, but it's, it's meant to give us a balanced perspective because I think a lot of our brains right now are like the world's on fire. We're headed towards civil war and I might be killed by a virus and that's it. But then you remember, Oh, I have friends, you know, I, 
can sit in my backyard and hear birds talking to each other. You know, I have a girlfriend who loves me, who I trust. I have a, a dog that, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I could go on for, I could list a hundred of them. How about like, I woke up today. I have, I, I'm able to breathe. I'm able to do something in this cause toward making the world a better place. I have my, a, my legs work. My hands write work. I can type. I have ideas today. I'm yeah. creative, you know? So yeah. it's like just getting down to those basics. Um, I can start the day not in the matrix of illusions. That's so great. That That's such we, a great way of putting it. The matrix. That we're fucked, you know? And if I come oh. into my day like that, nothing's going to get better. I'm not going to no. be able to be of service. Right. And, it's all and the fun. worst thing you can do <clears throat> is tap into your self-righteousness by going on Facebook or something else and trying to, you know, quote unquote, win an argument or, you know, belittle somebody for thinking differently uh, than what you do. And that doesn't mean I respect other people's <clears throat> opinions necessarily, but I respect their ability to have them. I, I, I feel the same. And, you know, nobody has ever changed their, their POV, their POV or their belief system from someone shouting at them that they suck and they're stupid. <laughs> I mean, if that worked, you know, uh, think it's like, how long can you do something and not see results and keep just shouting louder? Yeah. Is there a I, I way that we can communicate better? and have space for everyone's, you know, that maybe it's not so absolute that if you believe X, you're a horrible person. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, I have uh, neighbors who I discovered are polar opposites of me politically. That doesn't take away that they're very kind, conscientious people. You know, I can't wrap my head around how they support who they do but i just try to focus on the fact that they are kind people that's what helps me too with some things i mean yeah it's just uh yeah so it's intense anyway i do that writing i take it a step further i do uh what i acknowledge myself for give, give me a couple i woke up today could have stayed in bed all day didn't um, I, what did I, I, I turned this situation around, you know, that I could have stayed mad about or whatever. <clears throat> like I just do little acknowledgements because really yeah. Paul, nobody else is really going to acknowledge you. And I find that it's good to do like a litter, a little inner validation. Like, so I'm not needy with the world. I'm not needing them to validate me. I'm. Yeah. Because that's, that's, you know, if really if I need the world to validate me, I'm kind of using them. And you're going to be disappointed. You're always going to be disappointed. It doesn't matter how much validation is because it's a, if it's a canyon of need, yeah. it's not. Anyway, so I, I could go on. It's a very extensive morning ritual, but this is about you. <laughs> do you do any morning rituals? I pray, I meditate. Um, I have recently started uh, going outside and stretching, you know, doing a uh, little bit of yoga. 
and uh, I play hockey three times a week, and it has made such a difference in my energy, how I play, how my body feels, that, and, and cutting out um, sugar and white flour. Okay, have, have I did that huge. too. Oh my yeah. gosh, Paul, tell me your tactics. How, how did you come to this, uh, this uh, collection of healthy habits? Tell there's us about guy, your journey. There's a guy I play hockey with who lost like 30 pounds and I noticed how much energy he had. And, and not that I was rolling my eyes at the keto thing, but I just thought, I don't know, that, that just seems really unwieldy, just not being able to have carbs. And then I was talking to him one night and he was talking about, oh no, they, they, you know, they make stuff with almond flour. You can have a pizza, but it's an almond flour crust. And yeah, it doesn't taste as good, uh, especially because I just learned how to bake uh, a couple of months before this. So I was making great homemade bread, great pizza, you know, cookies, all that stuff. But I oh, thought, wait. you know, I, I, I want to lose about 10, 15 pounds and uh, I've lost about 12 pounds in the in the last month. And more than anything, uh, I mean, if I'm going to be really honest, part of the reason was I wanted to fit back into some clothes uh, that, that I had, but uh, I, I wanted to have that energy that, that he had, and I find I just have so much more energy. I don't crash during the day like I, like I used to. Um, I still go sometimes lay, lay down in the afternoon, but that's more because my brain needs a rest and my body needs a rest. Okay. Cause I do a daily nap almost daily. Um, and I love it cause I, I do wake up so early and in the middle of the day yeah. I take a nap and then it's like, I get a second day and I love that, but I have so much more energy since I quit, um, those things also. And so like, what do you eat now? Like, what is your, and, and like, what's the exercise look like and what's the meditation look like? Uh, the meditation is um, uh, transcendental uh, TM. I do that uh, so too. I, uh, is that what you, you do too? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, I learned it about uh, I don't know TM, maybe TM. ten years ago from a, a woman I knew from my support groups because she had changed. She used to be wound so tight, and then she came in one time to one of the meetings, and she was so calm. And, and I went up to her and I said what changed? And she's like, <laughs> I, I learned how to meditate. And then she became a teacher. And so I said, please teach me. Um, breakfast is either four eggs or, uh, and, and I eat after I, uh, meditate and, and pray. Um, and, I, I wanted to ask it's not a religious prayer. It's more a kind of a, uh, Hey universe. I know I'm not in control. Help me, help me be the person I want to be today. Mm. Um, help me uh, bring about change where I can and help me let go of all my pre preconceived notions about myself, other people, the past, the present, and the future. That's essentially my, my prayer every day. That's uh, every beautiful. Um, you're going to say something? That's beautiful. I also wanted oh, to know, yeah. what's your mantra? I'm just kidding. <laughs> They're like, like wow, that's kind of private. They're highly secret. You're never supposed to tell anyone. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to be honest. Uh, I know there's no good or bad meditation, but meditation for me 
90% of the time is me thinking about myself for 20 minutes with my eyes closed. <laughs> well, you know, my meditation, my TM teacher uh, at, at the David Lynch Foundation said, all those thoughts are actually good. They, they may seem like, oh, it's not working, but she said they're actually cycling out. They're, oh, you're I, processing I like them in real time, so you're not taking them into your day. I, 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 what I also think positively about it is that it introduces me to what I'm worrying about. Hmm. Yeah, and then you're not like avoiding it, right? So you don't need to do right. all these things to like avoid the thing. Right. Um, okay, four eggs in the morning, lots of protein. Lots of protein. I alternate that with a mixture of um, either like shallots or onions, uh, quinoa, uh, spinach, cashews, and uh, turkey bacon. And sometimes I'll add coconut milk uh, to it as well. And so that's, uh, I think, a good way to start off with a, with a healthy breakfast because eggs can get really tiring after a while. Oh yeah, for reals. I eat them like every day for. Um, what's the lunch and dinner look like? By the way, keto. Does that mean you can't have any bread, including Ezekiel, or does Ezekiel not count since it's like sprouts and stuff? I don't know. I'm I'm far from an expert on keto. I know that you're just supposed to avoid grains. Um, I eat a lot of cashew butter, uh, a lot of celery. Uh, I, I really only eat two meals a day and snack a lot in between. So the uh, meal at night will uh, recently it's been like uh, steak and broccoli or chicken and broccoli. Uh, that's that's pretty much the, the go to. And I try to mix it up, you know, maybe chicken salad or, you know, uh, something else. But um, yeah, so a lot of a lot of snacking during during the day. Wow. So this has like turned your energy around. Is it been very recent, oh, like in the last three months that you've done this? Yeah. Yeah. I started about, uh, I'd say about a month ago, I was at like 195, maybe even more because I hadn't been to the, haven't been to the gym. So I didn't have a, a scale and, and then I bought one, but my guess would have been that I was pushing uh, 195, maybe 200 and I'm only 510. And, um, and now I'm at like uh, 183. I've kind of plateaued, but you know, I'm more than anything. I'm happy that I that I feel good because it's a dangerous slope if you start getting into what you look like. Oh yeah, uh, it can really go into sickness and um, obsession. Yeah, obsession. And yeah. I know there's probably people watching who struggle with a eating disorder and it's etc et so i'm i'm you know i'm, I'm trying to tread carefully because i know um saying exact numbers of what you weigh is is something that's triggering they yeah they try to avoid etc but um, yeah more than anything i i feel good i feel like i have more mental clarity um, that's the thing i really noticed about it is uh yeah. And Maria Bamford has a great joke about this, by the way. She goes, oh, I just wonder if I quit eating flour and sugar, if I'll ever be able to stop talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> I love but... Maria. She, one, of the, one of the funniest stand-ups, and, and 
unique voices in the history of stand-up. I want to say maybe the, I mean, I don't want to say the best because there's so many great ones, but certainly one of the best comedians of our time or any time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Singular yeah, voice. She's somebody that when she comes out with something new, I watch it immediately. Oh, me too. Me too. Yeah. I, I had a job for a while. She would hire me just to listen to her new hour. And so it was like the best job. I would just get to oh listen to God. all her stuff before Hold it. On, like... my, my dog sees another dog walking by. Gracie. <laughs> um, I, I love pets too. I think pets help with mental health. Uh, I will stop during the day. Oh my God. When I'm overwhelmed, I will stop and hug my cat. And it just is like a stress ball. Um, Couldn't agree more. I, I probably spend, I would say, a good 20 minutes a day uh, just cuddling and kissing my dog. I think we're so lucky, too, because um, to, to be in the pandemic, I mean, I'm alone over here. So if I didn't have my cat, he believes he's a lion. And I don't tell him otherwise. I let him think that. But um, if I didn't have, have shaved, shaved his body and left his head big. Not yet, but the day's not over. Yeah. Um, Go ahead. I'll but you off. but I love him anyway. Um. So so are you feel like I? But I did find that when I when I quit the sugar and the flour, it was so easy to write. It just like poured out of me, and so I think there was a, a tie for me, and and there was a. There was a connection between my mood, like I felt happier. And I've, I've stopped many times and gone back and like been like, I need to have this stuff again. And um, the writing is affected and the mood is affected. You froze. That, that doesn't surprise me. I will, I, I yeah. Paul, 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 can you hear me? Paul? Yeah. There you are. I lost you. Hi. Yeah. Hey, uh, I was going to say uh, one of the things that, and, and I think it's important, like if you're going to quote unquote cheat on the diet, to not beat yourself up for it. Uh, That's important. I have trouble sleeping some nights and the only thing that helps me go to sleep is two bowls of raisin bran. And that's just, you know, it's pure car carbohydrates, there's sugar in it. And I'm just like, hey, I'm doing better than I used to. Uh, I, I think that's important. Just be grateful for that. Yeah, you never wanna shame yourself for, again, you don't wanna coming back to that shame. I just realized Maria's joke was probably inspired by me because we're very good friends. Um, <laughs> No, I'm kidding. Um, so I wanted to know, like, so Paul, like, um, by the way, I'm so happy we got through the trauma. If you guys are late of Paul not showing up for my <laughs> podcast last week, I was sitting here like, all right, guys, my, my guest here today, Paul, he's going to be here any minute. Oh. <laughs> After like 15 Talk about hanging out to dry. I was like, does anyone have any questions? And then like after 15 minutes, I was like, well, guys, <sighs> see you next week. And then when I got off the pot, when I left the IG Live, I was like, I'm never doing this again. 
that's where I went. I was like with my all or nothing black and white thinking that I'm working so hard to turn around yeah. in therapy. I was like, I'm never doing this podcast again. That was a sign. And <laughs> I did 30. Well, my nickname is the podcast killer. <laughs> I was like, well, I did 30. Let's, uh, it was a limited edition podcast. The universe is telling me to stop doing it. Let's move on. And then I as- I think you should release those 15 minutes as an episode of your podcast. <laughs> and just call it shit show. <laughs> oh my God. I, I just- it was like, and then I, I just uh, like took a little space, a little respite. Is that the word? A respite? Mm -hmm. And I thought, do I really want to do this podcast or do I not? Because I don't have to. There's no shame. Should have, should have already mastered everything. Should have already mastered how to have guests who don't show up. <laughs> and I can quit at any time. But then the, as a few days went by, I was like, I still enjoy doing it. I like connecting with people. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you about your podcast. Like, what was your process with it? Like, when you began your podcast, did you have those days where you like, where you were like, "This sucks." The guests, you know, whatever issues did you, did you encounter issues that made you question doing it, or was it always like, "I love this." Hold on before you answer, because uh -huh. I got it. Here we go. Um, I would say, uh, the, the first couple of years, it, it was really all gung ho, um, no looking back. And, and there hasn't been a time I would say in the 10 years that I've been doing it, that I thought, uh, I don't want to do this anymore, but there have been times, uh, I would say in the last four or five years where I thought I need a break. I, I can feel my battery starting to get drained and I don't want to feel uh, like, Oh God, I don't want to, I don't want to do this anymore. There's occasionally dread around doing it, but that I think has more to do with uh, perfectionism and fear of people abandoning me, you know, and my numbers plummeting because I'm making some mistake that everybody can see, but I can't. Really? And has there been yeah. any evidence? to no so that's completely no. false evidence appearing real fear that's that's correct yeah that's one of the cb cbt things that my therapist has helped me with is she'll say what are the facts on the ground and i'll be like well you know my my gut which tells me everything's going to collapse <laughs> which she how does she how does she say to what's the rebuttal what's the solution look at look at what the facts are, mm. you know, and, yeah. and don't base your feelings on your crystal ball. Uh, I mean, I should have, when I got sober 17 years ago, I realized how broken my crystal ball is. Um, if my crystal ball was working, uh, how did I not see that I was going to bottom out on drugs and alcohol? Uh, and I, wound up as a result of getting sober and doing a lot of internal work, uh, found the feelings that I thought fame and riches were going to bring me. Mm. And that just proved to me that my crystal ball is, 
is uh, something I need to just put in the attic. So what led you to getting sober? Thoughts of suicide, mm. probably 50 times a day. Um, I was hosting a TV show that was going well. I was making good money. Um, I had tons of free time and, and I just was thinking about suicide all the time because the, to wake up, uh, was just, uh, just filled with dread and anxiety. And the only thing that helped me kind of let go of that feeling was getting fucked up. And I knew that that was exacerbating my depression. And so I could see that I was in a swirling, you know, downward spiral, but I didn't know how to stop it. And so I finally reached out for help and I found a, you know, a new way to cope, some tools to cope and a network of people that, that helped me grow into the person I want to be. That's amazing. Um, do you drink, like how much did you drink? Like a bottle of wine a night and two? Yeah. Yeah. Probably about that, you know, maybe, uh, six, seven beers. There would be a night where I'd only have two, three beers, but then there'd be a night where I said, I'm only going to have two beers and I'd have 12. So I didn't drink during the day. I, um, never got a DUI, never lost a job because of it. it. For me, it was an internal bottom. It was a spiritual, emotional, uh, just my soul was empty. I just felt hollow. I felt like all the good things in my life were on the other side of a plexiglass window that I couldn't feel. I could intellectually appreciate that I had so many great things in my life, but I couldn't feel them. I just felt dread, fear, and sadness and anger. Yeah, I really relate because I drink about the same bottle of wine a night, but mine just started with <clears throat> I would cook dinner and have a little cup of wine. And I, because I eat yeah. so early, I eat at like five. I had a bought, you know, cup of wine. Have let another little cup while it's cooking. Now I'm having wine with dinner. Now it's like seven, and I drank a whole bottle because it's delicious. Wine is delicious, but it's yeah, like I you, wasn't. And you're not a drunk. You're classy. And I and I'm European, very European. But um, you know, so it wasn't like I was in, um, you know, on Skid Row, but. Uh, yeah. I heard someone say like alcoholism leads to jails, institutions, and death. death and mediocrity. And I really related to the mediocrity part because it's like, yeah. well, no, I'm not in jail and I'm not in a hospital, but right. am I living my best life when I have like a headache every morning and, and say, I'm not going to do that again and then do it that night? I don't. Probably not. Yeah, I love that. And it's so true. It's so true. I could, I could feel life passing me by, whether it was true or not. You know, the first three thoughts I would think every morning I would wake up was, I slept too late, I'm a lazy piece of shit, and the world is passing me by. My stomach would tighten into a knot, and I'd think about all the things I had to do that day that I dreaded doing. The only thing I had to look forward to was getting fucked up and I knew it was bringing me closer to, to death. Yeah. Um, so like, when did you start the podcast? How soon after 
It was, uh, I got sober in 03 and I started the podcast in 2011. So, uh, what's that? Uh, seven years, eight years, okay. eight years into, into sobriety. And how did you come up with the name of your podcast? By the way, everyone who's watching who doesn't know Polly is a fabulous podcast, um, which you can describe better, but you guys need to check it out. Yeah. It's, it's called the Mental Illness Happy Hour, and uh, I actually came up with the name through meditation. I A lot of ideas for the podcast came through meditation, and uh, I wanted the title to be something that when you saw it, you knew what the subject matter was and you knew what the tone was. And one of the things that I'd found in support groups that was really powerful was humor. And I also thought I know a lot of fine people. Uh, I like to make people laugh. So I think the the light is an important part to balance with the dark. And so that was kind of my goal, though I have episodes where there's very little humor. But uh, Mark Marin was an inspiration. He did an episode with a guy named Todd Hansen who talked about a suicide attempt. And it was one of the most compelling things that I've ever listened to. And it, it made me think, boy, uh, it it doesn't have to be all jokes in lightness. And there's certainly a lot of heavy, heavy things that I want to talk about. I just didn't think people would have the stomach for, and some people don't, uh, for an hour, hour and a half of heavy shit. Have you found that people that there is, um, well, clearly you found there's a, a great audience for the heavy shit. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was so relieving to know there were other people who found comfort in darkness, um, that it helped them feel less alone. Uh, that was really my goal was to start a conversation, help people know they're not alone and be a cheerleader for them to reach out and get help. You know, whether it's a therapist or a support group or a trusted friend, because at my darkest, I thought I was alone. I felt hopeless and and i wanted to die and you know lo and behold i started living a life that felt satisfying and uh, you know um sometimes joyful uh, i still struggle with the depression now and then um i my psychiatrist i asked him one time what do i have and he said treatment resistant depression due to childhood adversity and i was like that's going on my business card <laughs> what does that mean? So you don't do like uh, meds or you do, or you do a different No, I, I do. I do do meds, but it can be, uh, it's just been a challenge. Um, sometimes they are just not, not enough. And so we'll change the dosage. Maybe we'll try a different one. I would say over the 20 years since I've been seeing a psychiatrist taking meds, I probably tried 20 different meds and you know 50 different iterations of dosages and and, and combinations um but I, I feel like i'm in a pretty good place now there's also a lot of other things that i have to do in addition to the meds you know i have to meditate i have to exercise i have to reach out to friends uh you know a lot of got to come at it from a lot, lot of different fronts yeah um but meds are just uh, one of them one one part what what are your favorite meds that you like now uh, I, 
I don't know. I was taking Adderall for a while. Okay. Uh, and that made a huge difference in my mood and my energy, obviously, but it started giving me blood pressure problems. Hmm. And so um, I weaned myself off of that. I was, I was worried when I tried it that I would become addicted to it. But, you know, uh, stimulants were never my thing. Uh, alcohol and weed were my thing. So I never had the uh, desire to abuse it and take more than, than was prescribed. But that one was a game changer for me. But I've been off it now for about a year. And it's been a slow climb back to um, feeling, you know, 100% or at least above 80, 80%. So I take uh, Lamictal, Wellbutrin, Celexa, and Buspar. And... Uh, I think that's it. <laughs> one of my friends. I was playing online poker with my friends one night, <clears throat> and all of my bottles were on the dresser, and they could and they could see it, and they were like, "Holy fuck! <laughs> what?" Because you know, a lot of them were old bottles with different dosages, and and I said, "You can't even see in the drawer where there's twice <laughs> as many uh, of of these." I don't know why I don't throw the old ones out, but yeah. Um. That's cool. Well, I'm glad that you're finding what works for you. And it's, um, how was, what would you say that was your biggest trauma in your life? The, the alcoholism or was it stand up comedy? (laughs) (laughs) Boy, there's nothing like a shitty one nighter to (laughs) put a boot print on your soul, (laughs) you know, but as you know, it, it builds character. It's it a real character. character. Sometimes it can really help your act because it forces you to go, where can I improve? You know, not that it's completely your fault. Sometimes there's just audiences that, you know, are not your cup of tea or even stupid or aggressive or, you know, whatever you want to call it. But Or sometimes they're um, just literally, they hardly, they don't speak English. Like one time I did this big room in Vegas. And uh, after I was like, wow, that bond. But afterward, they were all coming up and thanking me and they all had like a thick, you know, accent. Oh, my God. And I was like, oh, they were enjoying the show. You know, they just it wasn't their first language. (laughs) And some people those in the Cayman Islands. uh, And yeah, it was rough. I couldn't wait to get off stage. Also, some people enjoy a show like this. Like I know most comedians don't. You know, we'll 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 watch a show like this, and we'll be like, "That's mm-hmm. fu- that's funny," but I'm not going to laugh out loud. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm a big laugher. It's it, myself, but it's yeah, I'm not a big laugher either. It it takes a, a like, lot funny. for me to laugh out loud. Um. So did you did you love comedy or was it like a love hate? Uh, I've always hated the business side of it um, and the logistics of getting to the club, you know, the airports, then forgetting to pick you up at the airport. You know, the condo was scummy. I always hated that stuff. I think all, all comics do. But I love the, the autonomy and the ability to think of something that afternoon and to make a room full of people laugh that night is such a such a satisfying feeling and it it helped me get a sense of of who i am but uh, you know that was never enough to 
uh, calm my my soul down. It, it I had to get sober and find validation and a sense of meaning and purpose in a in a different way. Uh, I'm sure you know people who show business is everything to them and and I feel sorry for them because their lives are so one dimensional and it, it's so based on what other people uh, value in them uh, as a as a product rather than a person. Yeah, that's an empty existence. It's really empty and it's really fickle. Empty. It's like you can't if your validation is is external. You're always at the mercy. You're a slave of a very fickle. Uh, it's yeah. That's why you know it's like the inner validation needs to be there. Your center needs to be yeah. grounded. It's but it's hard to it's hard to find that, especially if you were raised with. You froze, Paul. Uh, I said. Oh, there he is. I, I said, can you see me again? I said, especially if you were raised with a mean voice in your head yes. or in your family of origin. Yes, it's very uh, challenging. It's a long road to it is to find the real voices when you're in the matrix, when you're born into the matrix. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, so I feel like you took your your trauma, really, of mental struggles and turned it into the treasure of your podcast, which is like helping so many people. It's making so many disenfranchised voices feel seen and heard. Um, it's giving space. Uh, and, and it's really a beautiful thing. I mean, would you agree? Thanks. I, I would. Um, and that's one of the things I'm glad I stuck around for. If I had taken my life, I wouldn't get to feel the sense of community and purpose that I feel doing the podcast. Um, I wouldn't have got to experience my life moving in a different direction that that feels uh, so satisfying and beautiful. Uh, I wouldn't get to ha have experienced putting in the work to learn what it's like to experience intimacy, both platonic and, and romantic. Yeah. So let's talk about that. What was your journey to romantic intimacy from not really being able to have it before? It sounds like. I didn't realize that I had put walls up as a kid um, that I was afraid to let down because in my house growing up to let your walls down was, you know, to be, um, I wouldn't say destroyed, but to be hurt. And, you know, that's gonna, that's gonna affect you as an adult because I, I had trouble letting people in because I thought if you know everything about me, you will judge me and you will use it against me. And I discovered in support groups, wow, people getting to know the full me and love me is feels really good. And after enough people, after I connected to enough people in that way, I realized, wow, maybe they're not all wrong. Maybe I am worthy of love and maybe I should be kinder to myself and that helped me learn to set boundaries with people and that was one of the biggest 
things that helped me find self-love was taking care of myself. You know, as cheesy as it sounds, taking care of that little kid uh, that was abandoned emotionally as a, you know, as a kid. And how that, did you, how did you that do is, that? Sorry to interrupt. How did you uh, do that? Uh, I cut toxic people out of my life. Mm. I cut my mom out of my life, which was the most painful thing I ever did. But I eventually came to the realization that it's important to have compassion for other people, but not at the expense of compassion for yourself. And there was no way I tried every option of um, managing a relationship with her, but it was just too painful and, and hurtful. She's, um, she is a very, very complicated, um, uh, sick person. And, uh, I, I just, I had to save myself and I kind of look at it like a dog that bites. I'm sorry that the dog was abused, but I can't change this dog, but I can stop putting my arm out and getting bit because after, you know, hundreds of times, what are the facts on the ground? That's so good. I've never heard that analogy. That's so good. Yeah, good for you. And is your mom just alcoholic or? No, no, she's not person? alcoholic, but uh, you know, she grew up with alcoholism. You know, she was abandoned uh, as a as a kid, uh, really by both parents, and um, and I'm sure she experienced a lot of trauma. So I have compassion for what she went through. I, I have love for her, but. Uh, I just, I have to protect myself. Um, and it's, it's the biggest regret that I have probably in my life is that I can't have a relationship with, with my mom. Wow. I so relate. Um, and how then do you get from that place of loving that inner child back to health and safety and then find landing yourself in a healthy relationship or partnership. What was that journey like for you? Learning boundaries, not only uh, boundaries I set for other people, but learning to respect other people's boundaries. I, I had no idea that I had no boundaries. It, it was uh, I just thought, oh, if you're comfortable talking about this topic, uh, if I'm comfortable talking about this topic, then you must be too. I assumed everybody was like me, you know. Uh, I had to confront my narcissism. I had to confront my selfishness. Um, uh, I had to confront the fact that I'd used people, uh, especially when I was, uh, you know, uh, acting out sexually, I, ha I had to confront the, pack, the, the, the fact that I was using people to feel what I wanted to feel, you know, be it excitement or validation or whatever. So I had to learn all of those things, but those helped me um, have mature, intimate relationships with, with other people, platonically at first and then romantically with uh, with my girlfriend. Where did you guys meet? We met on Bumble. Ah, oh, come on. Yeah. You're inspiring yeah. me. I was, I was about to give up on, uh, on Bumble. Um, yeah, it, it, uh, 
Yeah, we just uh, passed our two-year anniversary. Congratulations. Yeah. What was her first line? Yeah. What was I need help with the first Pardon. lines. What was her first line to you on Bumble? Uh, I don't remember okay. what, what her first what her first line was. I guess it doesn't matter if you're supposed I, to be I, together. First line yeah, doesn't matter. I thought she was really indifferent to me at uh -huh. first, but when we met for our first coffee, uh, I just sensed uh, a lot of compassion in her. I'd just come from a really intense session of somatic experiencing, which is a, a trauma healing uh, modality. And she was interested in hearing what it was like. And, you know, I was kind of confronted with, well, I want to set, uh, I want to respect her boundaries. I want to, I don't want to vomit, you know, my whole childhood to her. So I tried to, in a general way, kind of, you know, say, yeah, you know, here's some issues I had as a, as a, as a kid in a, in a, in a general way. And here's the way it works. And, um, yeah, she was a good listener and I, I just felt, uh, I felt a spark. That's cool. Were there a lot of people that you were just like, uh, did you have any weird experiences or just things not go ideal that would be humorous to, to, to talk about? Right? By the way, no, well, we, there was one, by the way, I have to say we have was... about five minutes before this okay. uh, cuts off, but if you want to keep talking, we can, this shuts off, but then we can come back and talk a little more. I just don't want you to, I want you to have the option or if you have to run, we can end at uh, no, I'm, 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 I do. I do not have to run. If I'm talking about myself, I got all day. Okay, great. Okay. So when this cuts off, it'll seem abrupt. It'll seem awkward. It's actually cut people off mid sentence, but we'll everyone just no shut down and come right back and we'll continue talking. Okay. But, um, uh, so, so yeah, one experience I had, um, one of the reasons that I, uh, struggle with a relationship with, with my mom and have is that she would, um, spousify me as a, as a kid, you know, at seven, I became her therapist about how much she, you know, resented my dad and how she wanted to leave and sometimes how much she wanted to leave us. Oh my God. And Paul, that's my childhood. Is it really? Yes. Oh, well, I can't wait till you come on my podcast. We are kindred spirits. Yeah. I didn't know that was and a thing until very recently. I didn't realize that was a thing. So I yeah. was like, uh, there's a book called silently seduced that I really recommend. It's by a guy named Kenneth Adams. And that is a, uh, it's it's the term for it is emotional incest and um mm -hmm. and so that was something that i had processed in therapy and support groups and uh and i went on a coffee date with this woman and she was divorced and and she said something uh, she had a kid in high school and she said uh yeah my my uh ex and i broke up um but you know, my, my boy is in high school, so, uh, I have a man and it just turned my stomach and, you know, I stayed for the rest of the date, but I was like, no, thank you. Um, no, wait, no what did she say? Um, you know, I, I don't have a husband anymore cause we got divorced. Um, my boy's in high school, so I have a man. Wow. 
yeah, it, uh, yeah. it was definitely a, a turnoff to say the least, but for the most part, uh, the dates were, were fine, but I didn't feel a connection there. Yeah. Um, there was a, a lot of them, there was a, a codependency red flag and, uh, that I did not want to, uh, step into, uh, again, and what they're um, just like they're just like oh i'm living in my truck but i see you have a house paul that kind of could have been no, red flag <laughs> no no it was, it, it was more uh you know them talking about relationships that that i could see that they were trying to control okay uh, another person trying to change another person oh, okay and I no desire to be in a relationship with somebody that wants to, to change me. I, I think it's reasonable to expect that person, uh, to that person to expect you to want to grow as a person and to, um, respect them and have difficult conversations and all that other stuff. But, um, yeah, I mean, there is, there are a few things more, unwieldy than two people in a relationship thinking they can change each other. Well, look, if you are getting into a relationship with a person thinking you can change them, that's not a relationship. It's a renovation. And the other party, the other party is not even willing. They're not even down for renovation. So now you're like, yeah. what are you even doing? This is now a delusional person, you know? And I think a lot of yeah. moms and don't... The, the a lot of moms have no idea, by the way, I'm seeing the comments on the IG, they have no idea that that's what emotional incest is. So I don't think there's a mom handbook, but you know, and, and, but that is a thing that like, if you're treating your child as an adult, uh, expecting comfort that you would expect from a partner or, or a parent that is putting the child in a very compromising position. Very, very compromising position. Um, okay, so guys, this is about to run out. We're going to end this one. <laughs> Hi, Paul. Hey. So you, hey, everyone, welcome back uh, to Let's Process This with my guest, Paul Gilmartin. He has a fabulous podcast him, himself that you should all check out. Uh, go over to at Mental Pod. And Paul, was, Paul and I have just been discussing how he overcame his own personal trauma, um, turned it into his hit podcast that's helping a lot of people in disenfranchised voices in the mental health uh, sphere, space, 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 and, um, and doing great work. And we were just discussing how he overcame his kind of trauma around relationship stuff and, and sexual acting out or however you would phrase it. I want to put yeah, words in no, your that's how, that's how I would uh, phrase it. And um, so tell, tell us more about how you did that. Uh, well, the first thing I had to do was, was get sober because uh, it's, you know, when you, when you're battling an addiction and you're trying to improve areas of your life, it's, you know, it's, it's just really hard. Uh, so getting sober helped me stop putting gasoline on the fire, but I still had to change you know, the foundation of 
who I was. Um, and that involved taking a hard look at myself. You know, what were my fears? What were my resentments? Um, how had I hurt people? Um, so it started with that. And then after being sober for about, I don't know, maybe uh, six years, I just sensed, and I was married at the time, I just sensed that there was something in me um, that still needed work. And I, and I could see that it had to do uh, around human connection, around intimacy. Um, my, I guess it's it kind of a crude way of putting it, but my heart was disconnected from my dick. And I thought that I was just born that way and I was going to die that way. And you should, you should do a comedy special called my heart was disconnected to my dick. That yeah. is one of the best things I've heard all day. Okay. Please yeah. continue. Uh, and I didn't want to live the rest of my life like that. So I started, uh, going to a support group, you know, sex for me had been, um, a tool for, validation um you know not that it's a bad thing to feel validated around sex but when that's your only thing when you're not interested in who the person is you're having sex with or um their personality or any of that that other stuff uh when your heart is disconnected from it um that's a, a problem. And so I started going to this support group and I found out that, you know, the sexual acting out isn't the biggest problem. That's just a pimple on the surface. The problem is underneath it, perfectionism, fear of responsibility, um, unhealed trauma. Um, yeah, those, those were the things that I had to deal with. And I, and I hadn't even given weight to the things that had happened to me. You know, my ex-wife would always say to me, you haven't really looked at your relationship with your mom. And a couple of years into that second support group around intimacy, one day it all hit me that the emotional incest and, and there was physical things that really crossed boundaries as, as well. Um, and I just broke down and I started crying and, uh, I, I said to my wife, she, she used me. Um, I was, a, I was a good boy and I didn't deserve it. And, and she said, I've been waiting 20 years for you to say that. I just got so chills. That, it, it, it yeah. was the beginning of, a new life for me because I was no longer minimizing my trauma so I could look at it and I could process it and it was not a graceful processing of it you know I was looking for a new mommy um, I was boundaryless in the conversations I had with female friends um, how so I, was, uh, I would just talk about you know, whatever it was, I, you know, I, uh, this is really uncomfortable, but I started having, um, incest fantasies, not that I wanted it to happen, but that was my brain's way. Cause I no longer have them, but 
I now understand that was my brain's way of processing the pain of having been incested by, mm. by, by my mother. And, uh, and so I would share this with women and because what I really wanted was them to just wrap their arms around me and be my, be my new mom. Um, but there were also sexual feelings attached to it in just sharing that um, fantasy with them. It was arousing to me. So I had this secondary motive, which then brought me shame. And, you know, the longer I processed, the more I understood that this was not an unusual thing for somebody who was processing something so heavy. And so then I had to forgive myself for um, the way that I handled my my healing. I still cringe sometimes when I think about the, the, the way that I handled it, but I have to forgive myself uh, for that. And and I know that the, my female friends um, uh, on, on some level under understand and were just happy to be there for me. But uh, again, it goes back to the people pleaser wanting to be perfect, you know, not wanting to, to somebody when my name comes up, go, Ugh, you know, and, and roll their eyes. Um, well, I think there's, I mean, sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. I, I think there's so many um, things that we do when we're unconscious. Like you weren't conscious that you were doing that. No. And once you became conscious, you did something about it. You looked into it yeah. and you were like, oh, well, like, how would you know that you were even doing that? It was coming like that's what is so fascinating about healing is it comes up in these ways to where it's like we have to pay attention to it. And then we learn, you know, the the it's like the wardrobe to Narnia. We walk through that door and we see, oh, Narnia, like all this stuff happening and behind the wardrobe that we didn't know about. But it's like, how would you know? Nobody, you know, you weren't growing up. Nobody was telling you like. This is how, and you know, so it's like, yeah, to be, to look back, I think, I think that's why a lot of men probably don't get help uh, sooner or at all is the, the pride, you know, or, or the, it's very courageous to look at that stuff, you know, because especially I think men probably more than women feel like I should have known this. I should have been better. It's that shame thing that, that, that they don't want to walk through. My psychiatrist said something to me one day that really meant a lot to me. Um, he said, I just want to commend you on looking into the jaws of the beast. Yeah. And, you know, the childhood trauma. And that, that meant a lot to me. And I, and I will say that now to friends who are processing their own childhood trauma is I, I'll say to them, you're a fucking warrior. You're a warrior. You, yeah, you can yes. run the rest of your life from facing what this truth is. Yes. Um, and also, and also shirking your responsibility to, uh, uh those around you because it affects other people around Oh my God, us, think you know? of the, all the people that we, myself included, would continue hurting if I did not look at my trauma, process it, and stop. I would be still yeah. like out there unconsciously or consciously hurting. I mean, it, it's, it's a familial trauma. Yeah. 
and and I know I hurt my my ex-wife. I could be cold. I could be uh, manipulative, um, withholding, and uh, it's you know I did apologize to her, but you know I still deeply regret the fact that for many years I was uh, a shitty husband. You know I was unfaithful. I had tremendous um, regret about about that i i thought i could control on my own um my uh, sexual behavior and and couldn't and that's why i eventually got help and um yeah that's a there's a lot of regrets about um about my past but uh, I, i'd like to think that i am no longer that person and that I'm taking responsibility for maintaining uh, my spiritual, emotional uh, and, and mental well-being um, so that I'm not uh, in that place uh, that I, I enjoy monogamy. I enjoy um, intimacy. Uh, I, I love it. I, I never thought I could connect my heart and my, my dick. And I, I have, and that to me is amazing. That's totally amazing. Like, what would you yeah. say are the, the top ways or the top, the top things that helped you to have that transformation? A willingness to have difficult conversations, especially when it means setting boundaries with other people saying, you know, the tone of voice you used when you said that really hurt my feelings or, um, it, it's, uh, it feels, uh, like, um, you're, you're trying to control me or, um, you know, apologizing when I do something, you know, I'm sorry that, that thing that I just said was, um, in, inappropriate and, uh, and I'm sorry, I hurt your feelings. So you learned, you really learned how to communicate. You learned how to say yes, fact when this happens. I feel yeah. this. Wow. Yeah. Instead of just like yeah. probably old protocol was like, I'm going to go sleep with three other women and never talk to you again yeah. or whatever, you know, yeah. it's a healthy way of communication. You know, it, it feels good to be in a relationship where shit doesn't get swept under the rug. You know, a, 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 a lumpy rug affects your relationship. It affects intimacy. Yeah. And one of the reasons I love my girlfriend is she is communicative. Sometimes it'll take her a little longer to, to come around to something that she wants to say, but she is interested in growing as a person as, as I am. And it feels like a team. Um, she listens when I talk about what, uh, when I, when I talk, she listens. And I'd like to think that I listen when, when she talks and it's just, um, yeah, a team is, is the, the best way that, that I can, I can put it. How, how long, um, like, how did she learn to communicate? How did you, did your therapist give you certain books to read or like, cause I read a book that really helped me. It was called, um, Facing love addiction. Did oh, you? Oh, melody. melody. I recommend that to so many people. Yeah, and it has breaks it down how to communicate without making the other person feel blamed or shamed, 
yelled at, all those things. Like what, how did you learn your communication techniques? I don't remember what led to it, um, but I remember the first time I used it. It was, uh, it was in my marriage. And instead of trying to, you know, quote unquote, win an argument, uh, I had had the epiphany that why would you want to vanquish this person when you live with them, when you're going to live with them after this disagreement? Oh my gosh. So I, I, I decided I'm going to express my feelings. And I was so numb and so out of touch with my feelings. I said, and I've been sober a couple of years at this point. I said, I am so angry and frustrated right now. I want to put my fist through a fucking wall. I don't even know what I'm feeling. And it, it felt like some of the steam escaped, but some of it was still left there. And it was really uncomfortable to walk through that, but the steam did dissipate and a light bulb went off in my head that this is the way that you should disagree with your partner or express your feelings is express what you're feeling without, you know, saying you're this, you're that because you give them. You froze. And on the defensive because you're, attacking who they are as a person you know that's um that's what i've heard too is when you fully ex- uh, an emotion fully expressed and felt is the pyre of that emotion i'm saying it wrong but the idea that it cannot yeah. go anywhere unless it's felt and expressed in a healthy way as you did yeah. so that's the difference between trying to win something to feel differently and just allowing yeah. that emotion to be felt and um, expressing it in a safe way. Like, did you grow up in a real war of roses scenario where people were fighting and yelling, throwing things or? No, Okay. no, just the opposite. It was a tense silence. Okay. And uh, so that's a very big deal to talk, to talk about your emotion. Is it, that's a very big deal to talk about your emotion. It, it was, and I didn't even know what I was feeling. Um, It's, there, when when people experience sexual and emotional violation as kids, there's a part of them that shuts down and numbs out to cope. Well, unless you learn tools to unnumb yourself and cope, you're still going to be that numbed out, shut down person. Your wall is going to be up for everybody. And what I learned in my support groups was how to let my wall down once somebody proved trustworthy yeah and, uh, and for me to see their wall and and you know whether or not they were letting it down rather than you know just taking a sledgehammer and pounding my way through it because you know that's what i felt i love that and that's so profound because you know and i've also heard like uh, my friend, my friend told me, you know, you, you step one card down as opposed to just telling someone everything or giving everything away. The second you meet someone, you put one card down of intimacy and if they match it with intimacy and there's that safety, then you put another card down. 
but and then if they match yeah. that, you put another and not before. You never lay out the whole deck because you're just begging for a disaster. You know, intimacy is earned. It is. And it's it got is. it and it's a prerequisite is safety. Right. So like Oh, that's so good. That's yeah. so good. Yeah. Um, so wow, that that's very profound. What like what do you think of all of the uh, comedians lately being accused of sexual assault? What's your hot take on that? Coming from the comedy world for, for, and with all of your experience yes, now comedy, with mental from health. From the comedy world, um, it doesn't surprise me that there is um, – that kind of, of behavior because a lot of comedians are fucked up people with trauma and anger. Um, I feel sadness for the, the people who are on the brunt of who experience the brunt of it. Um, because they're not only are they living with that trauma that is left in its wake, but it affected their careers negatively. Um, it affects the, the way they view the world, probably how they view themselves, um, how safe the world feels. Uh, you know, people who experience sexual violations, uh, there are so many things that can trigger a feeling of, of unsafety. It could be a song. It could be a, a, a smell. It could be a situation. It could be a time of the year. Um, and they're left with, with that. And people who don't understand sexual violation think that the event is the only thing that hurt them and that the further away they get from it in terms of time, the less they should feel it. But if they're, if they don't have a supportive community to process it, um, it feels every bit as uh, painful as it did the, the day that it happened. Um, because it's not, a lot of people think, especially men think sexual violation is about force or, uh, you know, that that's the scale that it's graded on is, you know, what, you know, was something, uh, physically painful and they don't realize that it's, it's the being dehumanized and used that is, is the most painful and then feeling alone in processing that, uh, feeling, um, small and exposed. Uh, that's what I felt as a kid. I felt small and, and exposed and, it's, it's, um, it was, a, it was a hard thing to process. So, you know, going back to the thing about the comedians, um, to me, cancel culture, um, was a necessary step for us to get to where we need to go because it, there had to be a tsunami of people coming out for them to feel safe and for real change to, to happen. My hope is, is moving forward, there will still be accountability. People will st still feel safe coming forward, but there will be maybe more nuance in what the consequences are. 
um, because banishing somebody to a desert island for the rest of their life might not be the most compassionate way. That person should still get consequences. They should still feel punishment, but they should be given the chance to grow. What that looks like, I have no fucking idea. I agree. Um, which, which is why this is so complicated. But I'm, I am, um, I'm just somebody that that believes uh, that there is nothing that we can't attempt to talk about. There are some people who, in the wake of this, seem unrepentant and have no desire to change. And I think that they should feel the consequences of that decision to show, to um, be exhibiting what seems like a lack of empathy for the people they hurt and a lack of desire to change. Mm. Yeah, I agree. Um, How's that for a long ass answer? <laughs> well, it is multi-layered. Um, uh... I think people, you know, want to see acknowledgement, people taking responsibility. Yeah. They want to see that something is being amended. It's all of the tenets of recovery, really, um, yeah. you know, amends, um, acknowledgement. There, there's no better uh, apology, apology than taking action. Taking action. You know? there, And there's the part of a, an amends that says, what, is there anything I can do to make it right? And that's a that's a vast area. Uh, and then I think, but I also believe in redemption, second chances. I believe mm -hmm. in growth and change. And um, so it's it's a and and but yes, disenfranchised voices were not heard prior to 2016 uh, yeah. by and large. You know, so it was absolutely, it's an absolutely beautiful movement, you know, that's, that's a It really was and, and, and is, and such a long time coming and because I was in recovery and then I've been doing the podcast for, you know, I don't know, four or five years, however long when the Me Too movement happened, I thought I knew the depth and extent of, um, victims and i had no idea how truly widespread it was um, me neither i mean I, I had a sense but once everyone starts talking right we're only as sick as our secrets now all these secrets are out it's like wow and yeah. that that cosby stuff was like what was your take on that because that was like he's a psychopath Absolutely, He's an unrepentant psychopath. Unrepentant psychopath, um, completely. Yeah, and and a guy like him, my heart breaks for those women. Be, be in jail for the rest of his life, and he will. And Weinstein's yeah. in jail, so this is like the progress. I, yeah, Weinstein seems very similar uh, uh, to him. He seems like somebody who is so far away from growing as a person um, that. Yeah, I don't. I, I'm glad that I don't have to be a part of deciding what happens uh, to people who who do these things. The other thing that I think is good about the Me Too movement it is it has helped people whose 
trauma or experience with being violated was not even on their radar. Um, I, yeah. I had an experience, you know, I, through surveys and interviewing people on my podcast, I've also uh, come across a lot of pe- males who were violated. Mm, uh, a lot of yeah. people think, you know, if you have, have an erection, uh, then anything's okay. Even if you're saying no to that girlfriend, they think it's about physical force. Right. Um, but uh, emotional uh, manipulation is is not okay. Um, That's right. There's a. I after I left my marriage, uh, I had a female friend staying with me, and we had been, you know, sexual online a couple of times. Um, but I had kind of lost interest in that aspect of our of our friendship, and so when she came to stay with me, I said. Um, you know, I'm okay uh, sitting on the couch and, you know, cuddling or whatever, but I, I want it to be platonic. I'm, I'm not uh, interested in a, in a sexual relationship. I don't want to have sex. And um, she came on to me and, um, and started touching me. And I didn't say anything, but I didn't want to do it. And I felt sorry for her. And so I did what I'm sure many people have done, which is they just waited till it was over. And it didn't occur to me until. I think you froze. There you are. Verse, um, I would have, I, I would have viewed it differently. And, you know, I wouldn't, you know, it's not like I'm saying, oh, I'm the victim, but I, that fits in that gray area of something that had a, a, a violating nature. I said, I don't, I said that I didn't want this. Absolutely. Um, and I think less men are talking about it than women, but it's an absolute reality. And um, have you seen I May, uh, I May Destroy You? No, I have not. I, actually, I watched uh, the first episode. Okay. And I, I love, I love her. I haven't seen any, any more episodes of it. I don't know something about things that have a lot of flashbacks in them. I, I, um, it takes me out of it. Okay. And I love to watch things where I forget that I'm watching something that's not real. And so that, uh, that kind of made me lose interest in watching more of it. Got it. Got it. Yeah. My girlfriend loves it. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. I, I binged it over the last two weeks and it, it's really, I can't stop thinking about it. It's got so many, it, it just as, you know, she's a writer also in the creative process of right. all that stuff. But um, yeah, I was watching that and, and I was realizing, I mean, it really talks about a lot of areas of sexual assault that I didn't even really know were a thing. And I was like, wow, this show is like breaking it down. It's educating on many levels because there's more than one assault that's covered. So anyway, it's kind of groundbreaking. And I think that, I think she's great, but- um, It sounds like I should should get back into it. Yeah, I mean, you do you. But I enjoyed it. Yeah, there, there's a there's a part of me that has to um, I got be hooked. wary of, of 
getting my my battery drained by topics that I cover on the podcast. Yeah. um, Sometimes, you know, documentaries on mental health and stuff like that, I uh, I will avoid because I don't want to to feel my battery drained by the subject matter. Yes. So that that brings a very good question, which is um, how do you not drain your battery working in this space with your podcast and, and constantly sort of dealing with people's trauma, really? How do you maintain your mental health around that? Uh, I, I don't read as many surveys as I used to. One of the, one of the uh, parts of the podcast is interviewing guests and another part of the podcast is reading surveys aloud uh, that were anonymously submitted by, by listeners and they can be really, really heavy. And I used to read a lot of them because they were so and are so compelling and a lot of it was educational uh, to me. Um, but I began to notice it was taking a toll on me, all that darkness. Um, so I've cut back on how many of those that, that I read. Um, I uh, will not always immediately return a phone call if I know it's going to be uh, a heavy topic with somebody, you know, especially if they're, you know, kind of on the needy side. I'll finish what I'm doing so that I don't feel like um, I don't have any autonomy in, in my life. Um, I get sent a gazillion books about, you know, mental health issues and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I very rarely read them. Um, even if I have a guest on, sometimes I'll just skim through it, uh, and have them share stuff from the the book for me because I, if I feel a sense of dread going into something, I listen to my body. Oh my gosh, I do the same. That is so powerful, listening to where the dread is and clearing yeah. the dread or avoiding the dread. That's huge. Because yeah. I used to just be like, oh, yeah. making myself do all these things. Are you, um, what would you recommend? Like, what what's the secret to your success, basically? What what are the things to avoid and the things like what advice would you give a neophyte podcaster (laughs) uh find your voice you know not your physical voice but your um who you are uh don't you know one of the things that that i'll see people do is i'll be talking to them like we're talking now and they're you know all of a sudden they hit record and they're talking in like this interviewer voice that, that is not authentic. They think that, you know, they, they need to be like that person rather than just conversing. One of the things I love that Mark Marin does is he hits record as they're conversing. Um, yeah, he's, uh, he's great. I so, love his podcast. Yeah, I would, I would say that. Uh, I would definitely say don't get in it for the money because, <laughs> you know, probably – you know, one one thousandth of one percent of the podcasts uh, are are self supporting. Does it pay um, in other ways, though? Does it pay dividends in other ways that are not monetary? Yes. What yes, are those dividends? Absolutely, a a, a sense of uh, empowerment. Um, 
uh, a sense of being heard, you know, even if your numbers are really low, uh, just feeling that you're, what you're expressing is, is being heard and valued. Uh, I would warn against uh, assigning value to the number of downloads you're getting. Mm. Um, I, I think before anybody does anything creative or while doing it, I think a really important question to ask yourself is what, what is my intent? Is, is my intent to help people, to entertain people, or is my intent to become famous? Because there's those are vastly, vastly different intents, and mm. one of them is a red flag. There, the, the, some personal internal work uh, might be helpful. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay. Awesome. And what? Um... Like, have you ever had any interviews that are just awkward where you're like interviewing someone and you're just like, wow, this is not flowing. It's not interesting or it's whatever, or the person's argumentative or like any of that stuff. Yeah, I've had uh, quite a few and I generally uh, don't air them um, <laughs> as, as much as I hate to do that. It's really important if you want to. Um, have a podcast that that is um, that people want to listen to is to have a sense of consistency uh, with it. Um, and yeah, I regret uh, having recorded people uh, and feeling like I wasted their time. But uh, that's that's the. What do you say to them? What What do you say in that instance? Do you say uh, anything? Or do you not address it? I'll, I'll say it, 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 it just it wasn't a cohesive episode. It didn't feel like there was um, uh, it just didn't the, the tone of it wasn't right or um, it just feels like uh, we didn't we didn't go deep enough or uh, a, a, a lot of times I won't say anything and I'm sure that's probably me avoiding it, I probably owe them an email to say, Hey, I'm sorry, I've never aired your episode. Um, and, and that's probably shitty on, on my part to have done that to do that. Um, and what do you think makes a really great podcast episode on your podcast? I think people talking about things that the average person would be afraid to, to say out loud. Mm. Um, I think stories are great. Um, Vul uh, intimacy, vulnerability, vulnerability. Um, yeah. Personal details. If appropriate laughter. Um, what emotion? emotion, what do you not want to hear in a podcast? Uh, intellectual, uh, statistics yeah uh you know an occasional statistic is okay but uh, you know if somebody could get the same thing out of it by reading a book or watching the news um then i feel like the podcast is a wasted medium for it um what are your favorite podcasts that you like to listen to and why uh, I love uh, WTF. Yeah, um, that's great. I, I'm, I don't listen to a whole lot of, of podcasts every once in a while. Um, 
what is it? How, how I built this? Is that the name of it? Uh, I listened to a lot of episodes of that one. Um, the, the blind boy podcast, he's an Irish guy. Uh, fascinating. Uh, he, yeah, it's a great podcast. I think it's the number one podcast in, in Ireland. Um, what's it about? It's about everything, you know, uh, the human condition, politics. Uh, sometimes he'll read stuff that he wrote. He's a really great writer. And he, he is anonymous in it. He wears a mask. And he, he and another guy came to prominence in Ireland. Uh, they were a duo that did uh, funny videos, and they called themselves the Rubber Bandits. And, and, uh, he started a podcast just by himself and it is, there's moments of comedy in it, but it's heavy and profound and, and poetic, really poetic. You know, the, the Irish definitely have a, uh, poetry gene. I'm Irish. And he is, I'm Irish. Say that again. I'm Irish. So there you go. Yeah. There's a love of language. Uh, I think in the Irish people, and, yeah. uh, Irish American people. And it's just a, yeah, it's a great podcast. Um, cool. I'm sure there's a bunch of others that I, that I are escaping me at, That's the, good at enough. the moment. Uh, Paul, what would you, uh, kind of advice would you give guys who are trying to break out of I don't know, turn, turn their sexual habits around or come back from sexual assault and that kind of stuff. Um, so uh, meaning both people whose boundaries have been violated and who are violators of boundaries or users. Yeah. I guess just like, how would you, what would you say to guys who are trying to come back from like a, a cancel culture moment or like, uh, something like that? Um, is your mind open and are you willing to grow? Are you willing to change? Are you willing to take a hard look at yourself and make apologies to people you hurt, uh, and to see that you're not that person, uh, that did these things that you did, you know, and I think some of the people, some of the comedians, are clearly more interested in salvaging their career than they are in um, helping the the people that they hurt. And that to me is, uh, it's, it's sad because they're missing an opportunity, not only for personal growth, not only to help the people that they hurt, but to expand as an artist, you know, experiencing those Everything that we experience, especially things that are new to us, are, are so um, important for expressing ourselves further on. It's not the most important thing, but it's a great byproduct of uh, personal growth, especially if something was um, negative. Yeah, absolutely. Um, can you imagine how profound it would be? if someone came back from a cancel culture moment moment with recovery with help healing trauma and talked about that in their comedy 
That would be revolutionary. Yeah. But I guess, you know, why aren't people doing that? They feel like maybe they'll be further incriminating themselves or I don't know. It's just not as popular as getting recovery for alcoholism. Well, I, I think that goes back to the thing of intent, because if their intent was, oh, this will this will make me famous if I do this, it's not going to have the same vibe as it would if they said, you know, I want to expand the discussion about this and I want to share some things that I learned about becoming a different person. And it might be uh, valuable to do this in a format uh, that is in my wheelhouse. Mm. Yeah. Well, I just think it's amazing that you're, that you've like done all this stuff. It's very brave. Well, thanks. I mean, that's a hard thing for me to, to take in because I, in many ways, feel like um, the work that I did were acts of selfish desperation. Mm. You know, it's not like I, I said, I want to, you know, I want to help other people. That, that was not my motives. My, my, my motives were uh, around not wanting to die or not want to continue to be the person that I am. Um, yeah. And along the way, I think I've, I've learned hopefully how to be um, more compassionate and how to see where I've, I've uh, done wrong. Um, but, you know, I'm a, I'm a work in progress. I always feel like I've, I've got uh, more uh, ways to. You froze. I can you um, hear me. There you are. I'm a work in progress too. I'm a WIP. Yeah. You know, like the popular yeah. song, w- WAP, WAP, I'm yeah. a whip. I, I think it's- <laughs> Thank you, I'll, I'll see myself out. My favorite people in the world are seekers. Mm. And uh, I think there are a few things that you can be blessed with that are as great as being a seeker or being curious. <sighs> Thank you, yes, yes. Um, you know what I found um, really fascinating is that I, I've been told that uh, the sex addiction and the love avoidance, the avoidant and the sex addict are two sides hand in hand. of the same yeah. coin. And you wouldn't yeah. think that, but they're both avoiding um, at all costs intimacy. Yeah, it's a way to try to control it, That's either right. by running from it or by um, you know crashing through uh, you know, either someone's boundaries or, um, the healthiness of your own life. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, I was kind of blown away by that. Like, oh yeah, you're just, you're trying to control it. You're still in it. You know, do you identify somebody who struggles with the, you know, quote unquote love addiction? Yes. I have a love, love and fantasy addiction. Yeah. Talk about, you know what, I'll wait until you're on my podcast. Because fantasy is a really, really important topic. And it's so at the heart of uh, uh, sex and and love addiction. You know, it was a a way to cope as a kid. But 
Uh, and it's great to have imagination, especially as a creative person. But, you know, my head paints, paints doomsday pictures every day, you know, because there's there's all different kinds of fantasies. There's sexual fantasies. There's, uh, you know, um, validation fantasies. There's, mm-hmm. um, you know, chaos and drama mm-hmm. fantasies, exactly. fantasies we don't want to have. And yeah. My God, if I could put together a film of the horror that I imagine uh, every every day, you know, worst case scenarios, it, it would it would be you know a thousand hours long. Well, that's exactly it. And I I was seeing I've, I've learned all these great tools to stay in reality, which is what no addict wants to be in reality. No. That's what we're all running no. from. <laughs> full charged is just to not have to be in this moment right now. Right. And so that is, you know, but I, but I've learned all these tools of like what you're saying, coming back to the facts, you know, my therapist also has me do that, but it's like also seeing what's in seeing the facts in front of you. So when you're meeting a person, um, you know, they really are telling you everything you need to know right in in the first time that you meet where we get as fantasy yeah. you know people we fill in the vagueness and and the blanks with our yes. own uh story and so but yes, they, they our, our, our own expectations yeah but they will tell you everything right there and if you just look at the facts yeah. you look at the behavior because people can say a lot of things yes. but if you just simply yes. don't get high on hopium and check yourself yeah. before you wreck yourself. And when you see the red flags, yeah. you you lean in, you don't gloss over. Um, right. You will yeah, see everything. Yeah, I heard everything. somebody say in a, in a support group one time, we see red flags and think it's a parade. You know, exactly. But like they will say, like if someone's like comes on really strong and is like, oh my God, you're so amazing, you know, blah, blah, blah. This is like so show business, right? You're so amazing, da, da, da. We want to make a TV show about you, da, da, da. And you look at the behavior that the next week they're not returning any of your calls. Now it becomes a choice. But they said they're really in love with me and da, 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 da. And it's like, if if you want to stay in that fantasy, great. But just if you want to stay in life, Sometimes reality yeah. is what's actually happening, right? Yeah. <laughs> and what's actually Sarah, happening. Sarah, j- j- is... Sarah just texted hopium. <laughs> this is all, by the way, in my comedy special, Inappropriate, which is the pinned tweet. My comedy special, Inappropriate, is available for pre-order at melindahill.com. And, and I go into all this fantasy addiction, love addiction stuff. But... Oh, I can't wait to see it. Thank you, Paul. It. Thank you. Yeah. My phone is uh, low. Oh my gosh. On, on battery right now. All right. Well, that's a perfect time for us to 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 end this wonderful discussion. I can't wait to talk to you more about all this on your podcast. When am I doing that? Yeah. That's like in two weeks, right? Um, I think it's in, sometime in the next two weeks. Awesome. Well, um, I'm so happy I, I got to to learn more about the the man behind the myth, <laughs> the man behind the, the awesome podcast. Um, do you have any closing closing comments? What what are the best takeaways you got out of today? <laughs> um, that the, tr- the truth is never boring. Mm. And uh, 
it's it's just uh, it's nice to connect to another human being, um, especially if, if it can help somebody who's listening. Isn't that the I truth? I, I love that. I you know sometimes um, I think I don't. Why am I what? Why am I doing this? And then I go, oh, I love connecting with people. Yeah, and that's enough. Yeah, it's, it's and nice. I love learning from people. And it people. takes the power out of our shame when we speak our truths. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess the, there's always fear around exposing the truth because you feel like, oh gosh, it's that thing. Like, so you have to put it out. Do you put it out in like a controlled way, or do you just go, "Here's the truth. Do with it what you will." You know, I I try to put it out there in a way that is. Um, that is truthful uh, and um, is where I don't just paint myself as a victim because of the stuff that happened to me as a, as a kid, you know, I turned around and, and, and hurt women by using them and, and womanizing them. And I have to always remind myself that's a part of my story, you know, now just sharing the good uh, parts of, uh, you know, my recovery uh, is not helpful to somebody if they don't see that, oh, this person continued to make uh, mistakes and they had a hard time learning and uh, they don't get things immediately, but they're hanging in there and they're still uh, getting help and going to meetings and therapy and seeing a psychiatrist. Yeah. You know, I think humanity, when we see each other's humanity, it, it gives other people permission to also be human, imperfect. Like the idea is not when you get perfect, yeah. you're lovable. The idea is that we're in, we have inherent value right now. Like it doesn't, it's not contingent yeah. on any outside accomplishments or per mm-hmm. perfection or downloads. It's like, no, you're inherently valuable right now. And learning how to apologize is, um, it's not only helpful to you, but uh, it makes the world a better place. Yeah. Owning, owning your shit. Owning your shit is so appealing because who does not yeah. make mistakes? Nobody what? is sitting in a crystal castle not making a mistake. <laughs> but it's the ability to acknowledge that, I think, that is yeah. so powerful and so empowering. And to have a new to have a new experience after something mm-hmm. that you thought was destroyed, and that's what a lot of people in re, you know in recovery and self help and stuff are having is a new experience. That truly is intimacy. That you didn't have to leave or scatter just because things were scary and bad. In fact, that was the beginning. The end. What you thought was the end was the beginning right. of like yeah. a lot of good stuff. Anyway, yeah. thanks so much, Paul. Thank you, Melinda. I look forward to uh, having you come come do my podcast. I'm looking forward to it too. We're gonna we're doing it on Zoom. Cool. We're gonna zoom in. No, I'm going there. Oh, I thought we were doing it. That's right. Yeah, I was gonna say, I, I, yeah. I'm so we're excited. Doing we're we're doing it in person. We'll our, I haven't seen yeah, a we'll living person. Yeah, I haven't seen a living person for like weeks. So this will be very exciting. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Paul. Have a great day. I'll, I'll see you soon. Bye. Okay. Bye, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Pre-order Inappropriate Comedy Special at the link in my bio or melindahill.com. And go tune into Paul's podcast. It's awesome. Bye.